Hi, this is Pastor Mike from Compass in Monterey County. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I hope it encourages you and gives you confidence that Jesus is by your side and that his plans for you are to bless you. I've told so many jokes about attorneys that we only have a couple left in the entire church. And I've driven most of them out of the church, so I want you to know that if you're an attorney this morning, that the problem person in that movie clip was a lawyer is purely coincidental. I'm very concerned that we only have two lawyers left, as far as I know, maybe three in the entire church, two of which happen to be, ironically, elders. I want to keep them close to me so I can keep an eye on them. But it does remind me of the story about a lawyer who was opening up his solo practice. He just graduated from law school, and he was waiting in his office for his first client, and he waited most of the day, and finally his first client walked through the door. And as soon as he saw him, he quickly picked up the phone and said, Uh-huh, uh-huh, I understand, uh-huh. I'm sorry, but I don't think I can help you for about a month because I'm so overloaded with casework, but I'll call you as soon as I'm free. Thank you. Goodbye. He looked up to the man who was standing there and he said, now what can I do for you, sir? The man said, nothing. I've just come here to hook up your phone. (laughs) It's not only lawyers who have problems with telling the truth sometimes. So do electricians. So do mothers, so do produce people, so do pastors. We all have faults, and we all have bad habits of the mind and the heart. Johnny Carson, in a candid moment before his death, said something I think is startling. He said, looking back, my life has been one long obstacle race with me as its chief obstacle. It doesn't matter what's parked in your garage. If what's inside of you is messed up, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's parked in your garage or how much success you have, because that says nothing about what's happening inside the family and marriage, inside of your own heart and inside of your own mind. I believe with all my heart that life is lived from the inside out. Happiness is an inside job. It doesn't matter how much stuff you have. It doesn't matter how many friends you have or what you got parked in the garage. It's what's inside that determines how happy or unhappy we are. Everything on the outside of us is colored by what's on the inside of us. It's a fact of life. None of us will ever be happier than what's on the inside of us. I think life is like a cup of hot water, don't you? What it tastes like depends upon what you put in it, what you soak it in. Now you can take a cup of hot water and you can put a clove of garlic in it. And that's going to give you one taste. Or you can take a jasmine tea bag and soak it in the hot water, and that's going to give you a quite different taste. 
It's up to you what you put in the water. And life is like that. What is on the inside of you is what flavors your life. If you have a negativity about you, that's going to flavor your whole life. You'll never be happier than your negativity. It's what you soak your life in. You know, some of us here need to understand everybody's got problems. Everybody's been mistreated. Everybody has been verbally abused at some time or another. Everybody has been treated poorly by someone. Everybody here is in the same boat. Don't be thinking. You're the only one who's been treated like you've been treated. Don't think you're the only one who's got the problems that you have. Everybody here has got the same problems fundamentally. But we have different experiences of our life because of what's inside of us and what we're putting in the hot water. The flavor of life is up to us. Soak your life with an unforgiving spirit and you'll have one flavor of life. Soak your life with a grace-filled attitude, you'll have a completely different experience of life. Be a good finder in people and you'll have one experience of life. Be a fault finder and you'll have another different experience of life. The flavor your life has and my life has is our choice. It all depends on what's the inside of us in our habits of mind and heart. And that's why I'm doing this series called Getting Healthy, Overcoming Hurts, Habits, and Hang-Ups. It's important. And all of us need to deal with this. Last week, I began with the first step of getting healthy, and it's simply this. Stop pretending you're God. Stop pretending you're God. And what that means is, stop pretending that everything is perfect about us. That we have no faults that we have no bad habits, that our family life, our married life, our children, they're all perfect. We have no problems. Only God has no problems. Stop pretending you're God. Remember this, we are as sick as our secrets. Have you thought about that? Whatever you are keeping secret from yourself or others, you will never overcome. Whatever you keep in the dark will keep you under its power. Most people carry a heavy load of secrets. Secrets about what really their marriage is like. About really what their family life is like. Secrets about what they are feeling. Secrets about what they're actually thinking about doing. A lot of people keep secrets even from the person they're married to. Secrets about how they're spending money. Secrets about how much something costs. Secrets about how much they're drinking. Secrets about really how they're feeling about that marriage. A lot of us are keeping secrets even from the person closest to us. Last week I told you that <clears throat> a person that I am seeing is <clears throat> my spiritual advisor and confessor asked me a very penetrating question. The question was this. What question do you hope I will never ask you 
if you had to be totally honest and tell nothing but the truth and only the truth, what question do you hope I never ask you? What would that be for you? Whatever is secret, we never overcome it. For a long time, my secret was that I was a very unforgiving person. I had to keep that secret because pastors are supposed to be forgiving. In fact, pastors are pretty much not supposed to have any kind of flaws. They're supposed to be God. It's a lot of pressure. But I was embarrassed about that. So I kept it as a secret, even though I preached about forgiveness. You see, the truth was, I was just like my mother. My mother never forgot anything people did to hurt her or to offend her. And just to keep her memory sharp, she would continually rehearse the pain in her past to anybody who would listen. And if no one was around, she'd just rehearse it to herself. There was never a day that my mother did not think about the past. In fact, when our family was young and we used to take every Christmas vacation and summer vacations in Phoenix to be with our family, Susie used to sit for hours and listen to my mother rehearse the things that she held against people and the hurts that she had had in her past. She never forgot. She never forgave. And one of the saddest days of my life was sitting by my mother's bed as she died of emphysema and listening to her spend her last couple of hours of her life rehearse the pain and the anger that she had against my father for being unfaithful to her. My father had begged for forgiveness. She had stayed with him. But what happened 30 years ago, she never forgot. She never let it go. And she spent the last two hours of her life rehearsing that pain. My mother, in her life, it was like a car whose front windshield was only about a foot square and her back windshield was 20 feet by 20 feet. And she spent most of her life looking in the rear view mirror out that gigantic rear view window. And you know when you drive like that you have a lot of crack ups. You have a lot more pain. And she did. Some of you think about the past every day, don't you? I became just like my mother. I'm not blaming her. That was my choice. And the proof of it is my brother did not become like her. He was always very grace-filled, but I was not. I used to get mad at Susie after I first married her because she wouldn't react to what people did the way I did. It made me mad. Because I reacted that way, I thought everybody did. 
It was normal. And when she didn't, I learned a very important lesson. I, I had to face this fact. And that is that no one can make me live in the past without my cooperation. No one can force me to rehearse the pain of the past and be unforgiving. I have to choose to do that. And she was proof of that to me. I finally admitted, because I lived with a woman named Susie, that I was the problem. I finally faced the fact in my late 30s that I had developed some very unhappy, uh, unhealthy and self-sabotaging habits of the mind and heart. And I finally came to the place to face one of the most important Important discoveries of my life. It's a myth that is widely believed and it's straight from hell. And the myth is this I can't help the way I feel. That's not true. And when I finally began to face that my feelings were my choices, I finally began to begin, become free and learn to detach from people before I hung on to, and learn to be forgiving and grace-filled, and it has changed my life. It has allowed me to be joyful, to detach from the past and people, no matter what their problems are. Most people believe the myth that I can't help feel the way I do. But no one can force you to feel anything. No one can force you to be angry. No one can force you to be resentful and to carry grudges. No one can even force you to be hurt by another person's behavior. And the proof of that is that other people in your situation are not hurt. Those are all choices. We always have to cooperate with them to develop those feelings. You see, the fact of the matter is that the way people behave is not the trigger for our emotions. They don't force us to feel anything. They are only a test of what is already inside of us in terms of habits of the mind or heart. People's behavior is only a test of what is inside of us. It does not force us to feel whatever we feel. Spiritual growth means to stop blaming my feelings and my behavior on others and to take responsibility for my choices. I finally did that in my late 30s and began to get healthy about forgiving and letting go and letting God. These were new habits of thinking that allowed me to detach from people's behavior. It allowed me to detach from the past. And it empowered me to stop being a victim of other people's behavior and to take back control of my emotional life. It set me free. But I had to give up the myth that I can't help the way I feel. 
the scriptures challenge that myth by continually telling us, get rid of your anger, get rid of your envy, get rid of your bitterness. That these are commandments must mean it's possible to do. And therefore, these feelings are not necessary. When Mark Twain left the riverboats on the Mississippi and went to Carson City, Nevada, he wrote a friend back home and he said, Carson City is full of booze, wild women, and gambling. It's no place for a Presbyterian to be, so I'm not a Presbyterian any longer. <laughs> Bad habits are not broken as long as we think the payoff makes them worth keeping. Bad habits, you'll never break them as long as you think the payoff makes them worth keeping. That was the point of the film clip this morning. Why couldn't he break his habit of lying? Because of the payoffs. With his little son, what was he doing? He was trying to teach him the payoffs of lying. After all, it helped him to win cases, helped him to get promotions and make money. It helped him to make excuses to his ex-wife, and it helped him to not do things she wanted him to do that he didn't want to do. Oh, lying has lots of benefits. And that's why a lot of us have not broken habits of thinking in our heart. No one fixes what they think is working. And that's why a lot of us are stuck spiritually and emotionally and behaviorally. We're stuck because we think it has benefits. Now, this is why I took the offering earlier because some of you are going to get mad at me right now because I'm going to meddle. Let's take gossip. There are some of us who insist upon talking behind people's back even though we know that God says no to that, and even though we know it separates friends, and even though we don't like it when people talk about us behind our back, do we? But we still do it because it's fun. It's enjoyable. And when we talk behind people's back, it makes us important. In fact, it makes us interesting to our friends. <laughs> Because we have some news that is juicy for them. And if we stopped talking behind people's back, well, we would be dull and boring and nobody would want to talk to us. That's why we continue to gossip and don't break the habit. Because of the benefits. Or take being judgmental and critical of other people. It is a besetting sin within our church, as it is within this community. Regardless of how much preaching and teaching is done, some of us insist on being critical and judgmental. We know God doesn't want us to be that way. We don't like it when people are judgmental about us. But we do it because it makes us feel better than other people. It makes us feel superior. There is a dimension of enjoyment in putting other people's down. It really is fun. But the best thing about being judgmental, as long as we're talking about other people's faults, we don't have to think about our own. 
It makes our faults seem a lot smaller. That's why we haven't given up judgment. The benefits have kept us stuck with it. I don't know what it is for you that you have not broken, but I guarantee you it's because the benefits outweigh obedience. What do you know deep down in your life you should stop doing, but you like the benefits of it, the payoff? Remember, no one fixes what they think is working. But are our habits really working? Are they really working all that well? Let me ask you this. Where is there pain in your life, honestly? I mean honestly. Where things, you're a little sad about it. Some regrets in your life. Some things that you messed up. If you connected the dots, would they lead to one of these habits that you've been keeping because mostly they give you benefits and payoffs, but once in a while they really mess things up. Today I'm inviting you to take communion and to do more listening to Jesus than you do talking to him. Just to ask him, Lord, where are my habits in my life that I need to break that so far I have kept because of the payoffs? Listen to him. Because communion is more than being forgiven. Communion is about being empowered to break what we have just confessed. Communion is a time to stop pretending that we are God and that everything is perfect. I want you to remember this quote from Augustine as you come into communion. Augustine said, sin is its own punishment, virtue its own reward. Sin is its own punishment. Meditate on that. What he meant by that was this. If you disobey God's word and you hold on to resentments and you hold on to grievances against people, who really is hurt by that? You are. Sin is its own punishment. And if you are judgmental of other people and critical, you spend a lot of time criticizing, at least in your mind, though you don't speak it, of other people, does it give you a happy day? No, it churns your heart, it pollutes, it flavors your whole day. Who really is hurt by criticism? It corrodes us. Sin is its own punishment. But if instead you battle to determine to have a grace-filled heart towards the faults of other people that are not your faults, and instead of judging them, you just understand them. You give them grace, just as you'd have grace. Who really is blessed by that? You are, because you detach. I have never met a critical person who is really happy. Think about that. Sin is its own punishment. Virtue is its own reward. As you come to communion today, 
Remember Jesus' words where he took the bread and he said, take, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. And then in the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant was the covenant of grace, not of works righteousness, the covenant of forgiveness. This is the new covenant in my blood. Drink you all of it. And we invite you now to partake of communion, to do your listening to the Lord and to come clean to him about your secrets. But hold the elements to the end till we can all partake together. I'm guessing that many of us this morning as we took communion were very discouraged because we thought to ourselves, I have confessed this over and over. I am so tired of confessing the same thing. I'm not getting better. I meet a lot of discouraged people. People who are discouraged with themselves and who are giving up on themselves. And you always know a person who is discouraged because they adopt this kind of slogan that is very common in the world out there, but it's a slogan straight from hell. And that slogan is this, this is just the way I am. I've got to accept myself as I am, and so do you. This is just the way I am. So a lot of us took communion today believing that we've made no progress and we're down on ourselves because we continue to do some of the same things over and over again. And that's why I'm so encouraged by this book by Henry Nouwen. It's a book about prayer called The Only Necessary Thing. And Nouwen was a Catholic priest. Who, he died not too long ago. But every one of his books challenges me. Nouwen is a guy who's on the top, in the top five list of virtually everyone, of a man who went deeply spiritual with the Lord. But Nouwen's book opens up with a preface with one of his friends, that one of his friends wrote about him as a preface to this book on prayer that I find very encouraging. See what you think. This is what his friend writes. Entering the day spring house late one afternoon, I came upon Henry drinking coffee and in tears. What happened, I asked. Oh, I had a bump today that upset me more than usual. This morning, as I always do, I rushed to get to the council meeting and Dan stopped me and wanted to speak to me. I guess I was preoccupied because I quickly said I could not see him. A few minutes ago, he telephoned and gave me a piece of his mind. He was angry, and he said that I preached beautiful theories about the Christian life that I did not live up to, and that I, supposedly a man of prayer, was selfish, self-centered, and rude. His remarks surprised me. They were hurtful, especially because they were true. About Henry Nowen? 
Reminds me in the Old Testament where God used a donkey to correct his prophet. God has a sense of humor, and he'll often use a person who is a donkey to speak a little bit of truth to you. Could even be a kid. Now, maybe they don't do it right, and maybe they don't do it kindly, and maybe there's all kinds of ways with the way the message was delivered. But sometimes criticism can be the Lord using a donkey to speak to us. Has that ever happened to you? It takes humility, a man of God, to hear the voice of God in a donkey. They were hurtful, especially because they were true. Henry and I talked for a while later, and as he prepared to leave, he said something that stayed with me and consoled me. I wonder if Dan ever considered what I would be like if I was not a man of prayer. That's so encouraging to me. Because sometimes, you know, I think, just when I think I've made progress in some area of my life and thinking or my heart, I fail. And you get that failure and you get to thinking, I am still at square one. But you see, now and even though that day he might have been a little self-centered, the fact of the matter is he had grown a long ways in his spiritual life. And the fact of the matter is he was a lot less self-centered than he used to be. Yes, he had relapses. Yes, he still had some failures, but a lot less than he used to have. I like the way C.S. Lewis put it about himself. He said, I am one of God's projects with which, with which, which he is not completely finished. I'm still in process. Just remember the next time you have a failure, that even when you're getting healthy, you still sometimes catch cold. Doesn't mean that you're not getting healthy. But that is a lot different from a person who isn't even struggling against it and naming it as a problem in their life. That's a whole different ball game. So if you're struggling, you have some relapses, take hope. You've made progress. And the second thing, if you want to keep your hope to encourage yourself, remember that Christ who lives within you, if you have received him into your life, Christ who lives within you is able to do what you cannot do. And that's why I love Psalm 56, verse 8. There the psalmist says, You know how troubled I am. You have kept a record of my tears. That's so encouraging to me that, that God is a sympathetic father. He feels what I feel. And he's not down on me when I am powerless in some area. He feels my hurt, my sense of regret, my sense of failure. He feels it. The psalmist is saying that you have never shed a tear over yourself that God was not crying with you. In fact, Jesus puts it this way. 
as you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. Do you hear what he's saying? You are his body. And every time you take a verbal hit, or you've grown up in a family where you were sexually abused, every time you take any kind of hit in life, Jesus feels it. Even as you do to the least of these, you do unto me. So Jesus feels what you are feeling. But he's saying more than that he just stands by our side and understands how we feel in life with our sorrows and griefs. He says that he has the power to help us be overcomers of these things inside of our life that keep making messes. And that's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, which I want to put on the screen right now for us all to begin to soak our mind in. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably, immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine, what a promise. According to the power at work within you. If Christ lives within you, you have supernatural power within you. That's why a Christian can never give up on themselves. That's why a Christian can never say, I am hopeless. You are not. Because the power of Christ lives within you. But you have to plug into it. That's the problem. So many people believe in God, but they don't do anything to plug into him. They may even come to worship. They may partake in communion. They may do rituals. They do all kinds of religious things, but they never take the time to plug into it. I have found everything in life works better when you plug it in. Your TV, your toaster, your stereo. And a lot of us have got this what would it be like to live in our house and have an expensive stereo and never plug it in and say, well, it doesn't work. You have this wonderful power. If you'll plug into it, but it'll cost you time and honesty. Just the very thing a lot of people don't want to pay. Time and honesty. Now I'm asking you, some of you used to be plugged in, but you're no longer plugged in. You've just been too busy. You're not plugged in anymore, and you don't have the power you once had. You know, life, I think, is like a garden. You've got to take time to fertilize it and water it, and then you've got to take time to pull weeds or the flowers get choked. When you start to neglect your garden, it gets ugly. And when you start to neglect the inside of your life and plugging into the power of Jesus Christ, I promise you, you're going backwards. You may not know it, but you're slipping backwards. So I'm asking you today, where's the pain in your life? Some of us are like this. I've just jumped off a 40-story building 
don't feel any pain yet, but you're only halfway down. It's coming. One of my favorite stories is about the, one of the greatest violinists in history, Heifnicks. Uh, he always did his concerts with a magnificent, priceless Stradivarius. And you know, <laughs> those instruments, if th there are very few of them around, but there's no violin that has the tonal characteristics of a Stradivarius. And the story is told that one night he did a concert and he just brought the whole house to its feet in thunderous applause for the beautiful music that he had produced that night. And as the applause broke down, he took that violin that he had been playing and brought it down hard across his knee and shattered it. And the crowd went dead quiet because they thought he's lost his mind. He just shattered a Stradivarius. And then famously, Heifnick said this, that was not my Stradivarius. It was a violin that I bought today in a pawn shop for $45. They got the point. It wasn't the instrument that was the key to making music. It was the master's hands, the skill of the master. He made the music. The master was able to do with an instrument that everyone else was thought would think is hopeless to ever make beautiful music. He was able to do it. That's Celebrate Recovery that's starting on Friday nights. That's our Bible studies. Put yourself into the hands of the master and he'll do what you think is not possible with you. That's what I invite you to. Have you done that? Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you that you are the master transformer of personalities, the master psychologist, the master physician. You can repair us and rewire us You've done it with hundreds, thousands, and people among us, even here. Thank you, Lord. Now, with every eye closed, I'm inviting you to make this prayer your own prayer in your heart and mind. If you're wanting to put yourself into the hands of the Master, pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I need repair. <clears throat> there are habits in my mind and heart that I have not been willing to break, and I have to admit, some of times it's because I see the benefits, but I want to change. And I want to plug into you. Help me today to start to take the steps that will put my life into your hands, and I pray you would set me free. Amen. Wow, that message was packed with quotable insights for living, wasn't it? If you're blessed by these podcasts, why not share them with friends and spread the blessing? Christians today in America, like at no other time in memory, need the encouragement of these messages to stand up for Jesus. So share the blessing, and God bless you.